Good morning, church. My name is Tyler Sutton. Uh, my wife, Casey, and I have been a part of Copper Hills for about the last six or seven years ago, and or for the last six or seven years, and for the last uh, year and a half or so, uh, I have been uh, honored to be able to serve as one of our elders. And so uh, Pastor Brad is out of town uh, in Canada with Elfie right now celebrating a wedding. Uh, they will be back this week, but then he's turning right back around and heading overseas to go visit a couple missionaries for a few days and then get some much-deserved R&R. So um, we will look forward to welcoming Pastor Brad back here in a couple weeks, but for today, you're stuck with me. So um, I am super excited to be able to fill in for Brad as we finish up our series called The Lies We Believe. So let me pray for us. And we will dive right in. Dear God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for giving us breath in our lungs, allowing us to wake up. Thank you for each and every person that's here, every person watching online. Lord, it is no accident that we are gathered here together today. I pray that you would speak through me, that the words that are heard are not mine, but they're yours, Lord, and that all of us can learn something from your word together. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. And it's in his name the church said, amen. Why are you here? Now, I'm not asking like a big existential, meaning of life, philosophical kind of question. I mean, why are you here today, right now, in this room? Why are you at church? This morning, the the final lie that we're going to look at in our series is that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. So if you think about it, all of us, We're not the target audience, right? And so you might be tempted to think, wow, this is going to be the most irrelevant talk I've ever heard in church. Great, I can take a 25-minute nap. But I want to encourage you to stick with me because I believe that as we dive into Scripture, God will show us something powerful about this thing called the church. So with that, I want to look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or an app, go ahead and turn there now. The verses will be up on the screen for you as well. But the book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in the church of Ephesus. Starting in verse 3, he says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body. That's key. And one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Skip down to verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, or maybe you're even like me and you've grown up in church, a verse like that maybe doesn't stick out to you as much to, to read something that the church is the body of Christ. But I think we also need to recognize there's probably people here and watching online who read something like that and think, that's really weird. The, the church is the body of Christ. What in the world does that mean? I, I think it's actually a really powerful metaphor that Paul chose to use. Think about it this way. Think about our human bodies. When everything is working the way it should be, when we're healthy, our organs are operating correctly. Our blood is flowing. We don't have any broken limbs. There's no disease or or illness or virus. Then our bodies are functioning the way they were designed to. When we're healthy, that's how God created us to be. It's the same way with the body of Christ, the church. You see, every believer plays an important role in making sure that the body is healthy and functioning. And we need each other. We need each other to be a part of it. You can't have an arm or or a leg or a hand operate independently of the body. The two go together. Here at Copper Hills, we have several values, things we value. And one of them is that we want people to move from just attending to belonging. And that means belonging in the body of Christ. And this is a really powerful thing when it works the way it should. I really began to understand what this meant about 11 and a half years ago. My wife and I were living in Indiana, and we were part of a great church called Connection Point. We belonged to that church family. And at that time, my wife and I were very excited to welcome our first child into the world. And our daughter, Harper Noel, was born on Christmas Day, 2010. Best Christmas present I ever got. But she was five weeks premature. And so when she was born, her body was not quite operating the way it should. And so uh, we went in on Christmas Eve. My wife, Casey, had a checkup with her doctor, and the doctor said, Things aren't looking great. We need to get Harper out of there. So we went in, 4 o'clock, Christmas Day, had the C-section. Harper is born, and immediately they whisked her away because they could tell that she wasn't quite right. So I I was there next to Casey, and and the doctor looked at me and and said, she's fine. We're going to stitch her up. We'll get her into her room. She's going to be okay. You go be with Harper. So I I rushed out of the OR. I went to go find my newborn daughter. I finally found her. And there were all these doctors and nurses surrounding her. And I will never forget the moment when one of those nurses looked up at me and said, she stopped breathing twice, but we got her back. We think she's going to be okay for now. Man, for any of you who have experienced something like that with your kids, you know that feeling where your heart just stops, your stomach comes up into your throat. It was a really dark time for us. This is Harper in her first couple days. She spent her first 11 days in the NICU, hooked up to heart monitors and IVs and breathing machines. It was a really scary time for us. 
But like I said, we belonged to a wonderful church family. And that family, that body of Christ operated the way it should in that time. As soon as news spread that Harper wasn't doing great, immediately there was a prayer chain deployed and she was literally being prayed for around the clock. We had people who came and visited us at the hospital. Remember, it was Christmas and so they had left some of their family who had traveled to come visit them. They left them at their homes so that they could come be with us and support us. We had meals delivered. We had things taken care of at our house. It was an amazing thing to witness what it meant for the body of Christ to operate and be healthy and functioning. Our life group here at Copper Hills just finished up going through Rooted. If you've gone through Rooted, uh, hopefully you've had a great experience. If you haven't, I would highly encourage your life group to go through it this fall. But I thought it was just amazing how God works. We just finished up week 10 this last week. And week 10 started off with a quote that is so applicable for today. It's from a, an Anglican cleric, a theologian named John Stott. And he said this. He said, I'm assuming that we are all committed to the church. We are not only Christian people, we are also church people. We're not only committed to Christ, we're also committed to the body of Christ. At least I hope so. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. I'm going to read that one more time. The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. If you only remember one thing from our time together today, I hope it will be this. If you are a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Christ, then you don't go to church. You are the church. As Christians, we don't go to church. We are the church. And something that's so beautiful about that is because of that, it's not confined to this building or any other. You can be the church wherever you go. You can be the church when you're serving or volunteering. You can be the church when you're on a missions trip. You can be the church in your life group. You can be the church when you have a bunch of people over to your driveway every Sunday night to just talk about life. You are the church wherever you go. But please understand that there is no substitute for this, the corporate gathering of the body of Christ. You see, as disciples of Christ, as apprentices of his, as people who desire to learn the way of Jesus, we have to follow the example of Jesus. And what was his example? Well, we see it in John chapter four. It says, when he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual the NIV says, as was his custom, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. 
You see, followers of Christ need to be engaged in the body of Christ. Jesus went to church. Don't you think we should follow his example? I want to speak briefly just to the Copper Hills men. You know, for us as spiritual leaders of our families, we need to be the example for our families by following the example of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we celebrated our our baptism Sunday. And it was so cool to see there were two boys, actually twins, that got baptized that day. And if you remember their stories, they talked about how they didn't want to go to church. They didn't like church. Now, I happen to know those boys. My wife and I were in life group with their parents. And I know that their dad and their mom show the example of how important it is to be engaged in the body of Christ. They they didn't allow their boys to say, no, I I don't want to go. I don't want to be a part of the body. And look what happened as a result. Their eternities have been changed. Followers of Christ, we need to be engaged in the body of Christ. You know, this, this topic, it's given as a statement But really, it can be flipped around to a question. And it's a question that I think so many of us have probably asked before. And I know it's a question that so many people in our circles, in our culture, are asking today. And that question is, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Why are people asking that question? I think, unfortunately, if we really dig a little deeper into what's behind it, what's underneath that question... It's because so many people have been burned by the church. They've been wounded. Or they see the the junk and the dysfunction that happens, and they say, I don't want any part of that. Why would I want that in my life? They see the leadership failures and the church scandals that seem to be everywhere right now. And and they say, no, that's not for me. And what tends to happen is people say, you know what? I'm for Jesus. I'm all for a relationship with Christ. Give me Jesus. But that church thing, ah, I could take it or leave it. But here's the deal, church family. You can't have it both ways. You can't say yes to Jesus, the head, and no to the church, the body. It just doesn't work. The two don't operate independently of each other. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives another metaphor. Ephesians 4, he talks about the church being the body of Christ. In Ephesians 5, he talks about the church being the bride of Christ. And he spends the first part of Ephesians chapter 5 giving instructions to husbands and wives. And that's a, a great different topic for a different day. But then he kind of pivots and makes this comparison to the church. And so he says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy 
and without fault. This marriage metaphor, and we'll keep it up on the screen here for a second, it's a powerful one. Because think of it this way. Imagine there's a, a woman meets a guy and, and they decide they want to get married and, and she says, you know what? I'm even going to take his last name as my own. However, I don't really want to talk to him. I don't want to spend time with him. And I really don't want the people in my life to know that I associate with him. It doesn't work, right? I mean, that's a recipe for a really dysfunctional marriage. In the same way, church family, we are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. You can't have one without the other. Now look, I get it. I understand that so many of us have experienced deep church wounds over time. For me and my wife, uh, probably the, the biggest one came when uh, I got my first full-time ministry. I was a youth pastor uh, at a church outside Columbus, Ohio, and my wife and I had been married for less than a year before we packed up and, and moved across country 2,000 miles away, left our, our extended family and our friends and the, the community and, and comfortable life that we had here. And we went to this church that on the surface looked like a really healthy, functional situation. And we were excited to go. Unfortunately, not too long after getting there, we realized this church was not at all what we were led to believe it was. There was unbelievable infighting between the, the senior pastor and the elders. There was a, a ridiculous amount of debt that came out and was, there was revelations of all this impropriety. Uh, there was my coworkers were getting laid off constantly. Now, I remember a season there of a couple months where I went to work every day wondering, is this going to be the day I'm going to lose my job? It was a terrible, terrible situation. If you ever want to be depressed, take me out for coffee and I'll tell you the whole story. It's bad. <laughs> but you know what? Even as, as horrible and painful as that was, I, I had to take a step back and say, yes, this is a mess. This is dysfunctional. This isn't healthy. But this is humans who have sinned and made mistakes and screwed up. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And yes, this church right now is in shambles. But that is not what he has in mind. He wants this church and every church to be presented without spot, without blemish. That's his desire for it. And so it made no sense for me to say, well, just because things are messed up here, I'm going to throw the whole thing away. You can't have one without the other. You see, I think there's a real danger in believing the lie that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I think there's kind of two main dangers. One is more internal, and then there's one that's external. For the internal one, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We left off earlier in verse 12, but Paul continues in verse 13 and says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature, 
like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So can you be a Christian without going to church? Of course, yeah. However, I believe this passage is crystal clear that you can try it that way, but your growth, your spiritual maturity will be stunted as a result. The other danger that's more kind of external is found in John 13. which says, this is Jesus talking to his followers. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I wholeheartedly believe that the church, the body of Christ is the hope of the world. And when we get it right, when it is functioning the way it should be, when it is healthy, it is a powerful, amazing thing. And the message that it conveys to the people in our lives is one of hope. It gives them something that they're kind of envious of and they want to be a part of because they see the connection between Jesus and the church. On the flip side, when the church is is fractured or ill, where there's a limb missing, it's not operating the way it should. And when that happens, the world suffers as a result. That's kind of the the danger from an external perspective. Those around us get a message about the church that's simply not true. They hear that, that the body of Christ is not healthy. And I want to say to you today, it is, and it should be because it is the body of Jesus. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. That's spiritual maturity. That's being more and more like Jesus. If they are not doing that, All the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. When I first read that quote, I was was a little taken aback and I thought, is that true? And the more and more I looked at it and looked at scripture, I think C.S. Lewis was spot on. And when you look at Ephesians 4, it shows that. Spiritual maturity, becoming more and more like Christ is the goal. And the best way that happens is in the context 
of the body of Christ. And when that is working the way it should, oh my goodness, it gives an unbelievable message to the world around us. As we begin to to close out, I want to invite the band to come back up, and I'm going to offer a few suggestions for what do we do now? How could you maybe apply what we've talked about today into your life? And I don't want to give three suggestions. Be, love, and share. As we talked about, we don't go to church, we are the church. And so what does it look like to be the church in your world? You know, for some of us, maybe we need to take a look and say, have I been engaged in the body of Christ in the way that God really calls me to? And there's many reasons that people sometimes take a step back, and certainly over these last couple of years, that's been prevalent. But I wonder if God might be saying to you today, it's time to do something different with that. Secondly, love the church. Maybe for some of us, our perspective on the church needs to change. You know, maybe you're here, but you're just kind of going through the motions. And just like a marriage that's lacking in love and is just going through the motions is dysfunctional, when we have the body of Christ and people who are going through the motions without loving the church, that's dysfunctional too. And again, the world misses out as a result. And then lastly, share the church. If you have been impacted in a positive way, and hopefully most of you have, by the body of Christ, being engaged in the body of Christ, Share those stories. Tell people around you what that is like. I have to tell you, it breaks my heart to see all these blogs and exposés and documentaries and podcasts talking about how damaged the body of Christ is. And I think those people that do those things are well-meaning. But man, it is so damaging to the body of Christ I believe with all my heart that Jesus is just as relevant and just as important today as he has ever been. Therefore, his body, the church, is just as relevant and just as important today as it has ever been. And so if you believe that too, you got to tell the people around you. Give them hope that this thing called the church, the body of Christ, is alive and well. So, be the church, love the church, and share the church.